Well, it's good to, to actually meet you just before we've come to our uh, last sermon in this series of um, Respectable Sins and Neglected Virtues. Uh, and this week we turn to the neglected virtue of self-control. Self-control is a funny thing as I've thought about it over the week, and I can tell why it's a neglected virtue. I think it's because we believe a lie that the world sells that it's boring. I did a quick browse on the web to see what people think. Turns out Jordan Peterson loves to talk about self-control. I've never really touched base with Jordan Peterson before, but I had a look at one of his videos, and he talks about self-control as your ego controlling your id. Uh, If your ego is your consciousness, your id is all your desires, and so your id, it demands sex and food and fun, and your, your consciousness, your ego, controls all of these things and makes sure that they're not too loud and, and that they're appropriate in the right context and all that things. Um, the world says, boring. Let your id run your life. The demands for sex and food and fun should be loud and clear. Here's another take. I came across an American preacher, and she said... Self-control helps you do what you don't want to do so that you can have what you say you want to have later on, right? It it just sounds like uh, lifestyle advice. She applied it to weight loss and to debt management. And some people in the world, they hear that and they go, yeah, delayed gratification, wisdom. But the vast majority will respond by saying, boring. You should be able to have what you want now. And I'm getting this in express post so that I can have it today. There was another video from a guy. He was quick to acknowledge that self-control sounds boring. Uh, His words, not mine. But then he assured us that it's not. But then gave us the five most boring techniques for self-control I've ever heard. Uh, The first was planning. Boring. (laughs) Then rules. Challenges, maybe they, they could be fun in some ways. Yeah, consequences, oh, we're back to boring. And practice, oh, like Marcus will tell you how boring it is sometimes to go over the same guitar riff over and over and over and over again. There were a lot of other videos that talked about self-control um, and, and a lot of them talked about self-control as like a mind discipline, um, having a strong mind to stay focused on the same thing. Um, or one of them talked about it uh, as being a warrior mind. I kind of like that one. That's pretty cool. But by and large, the world is quick to dismiss self-control as one of the most boring things on the planet. It's no surprise then that self-control is a big deal in the Bible because, you know, it turns out the Bible runs against the grain of our culture so often, doesn't it? But the Bible's view of self-control is anything but all those videos that I watched. The Bible's view of self-control is much more profound than that. It's not, it's not some sort of lifestyle advice, and it's not gimmicky tricks and techniques of how, like, how to have self-control. And far from being boring, the Bible claims that self-control is critical to your life as a Christian And more than that, it's beautiful and full of wisdom. So let's start with that, that it's critical. My first point, you might want to jot this down in your outline because I haven't haven't written points in your outline, but here it is, self-control saves us. I hope that makes you deeply uncomfortable hearing that uh, because as I wrote this, I thought, oh, Josh and Phil, they're going to be mad at me when they hear me saying this because we just went through the first six chapters of Romans where we talked about we're saved by grace through faith alone, right? 
And even as Phil started this series, his first sermon was on the big thing that we're saved by grace, nothing else. And here I am, standing up here to tell you that we're saved by self-control? Like, what the heck? What am I doing? I hope your theological hackles are up on the back of your neck. But bear with me and keep your Bibles open in Matthew 16, that New Testament passage we had, and we're going to work through that one first, okay? So if you're there with me, we're going to start at verse 24. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. What will it benefit a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will a man give in exchange for his life? Here we have Jesus and he's setting out a whole bunch of conditions to follow him. And he says, if you would come with me, you must deny yourself. I think when Jesus says, if you would come with me, he's, he's got an immediate context in mind. He's thinking about the cross. He's going to the cross next. He's just predicted his death on the cross. But I think he's ultimately thinking about coming with him to where he's going, back to the glory that he has with the Father in heaven. And he says, to go with him there, you have to deny yourself. And I think Jesus, in essence, is talking about self-control here. I think this means to put Jesus in your life in the space that he's meant to occupy. In first place. Right in the middle of your life. Not an afterthought, not an addition to your life. No, he takes centre stage. This is the essence of self-control. It's putting yourself in submission to Jesus. To take up your cross, dying to yourself, your sinful self, like that Colossians 3 verse that we had, and being crucified with him and following him, taking his lead, not your own. The beginning of self-control is to say, self is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. See how Jesus puts himself at the centre of all these conditions? Look in uh, verse 25 and you'll see that it's if you lose your life for his sake, you'll save it. And he can make this astonishing claim because of who he is in verse 27. So pick up with me and we'll keep going from verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father and then he will reward each according to what he has done. I assure you, There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the Son of Man judgment figure of Daniel 7, attended by his angels in the glory of his Father, ruler over the heavenly kingdoms, and he demands to be put in first place in your life. And sin is the opposite to that, isn't it? Sin is putting the self before God. That's why we had that Genesis 2 reading. God creates the world and he places man in the garden. He gives him rules to live by. Namely, that there's a tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that he's not to eat from. And when Adam and Eve eat from that tree, by rejecting God's command, they reject God. It's even explicit in the way that the serpent tempts Eve. He tempts her by saying that, when they eat from the tree, they'll become like God. And that's, that's sin. Sin is 
displacing God from the centre of our lives and our obedience to his command and setting ourselves up as rulers of our lives, commands that we live by that come from ourselves. Instead of controlling ourselves to be in submission to the God who made us and owns us, has rights over our lives, we let ourself control us. Now let me tell you, the world will tell us that that's where true freedom is. When you take your life into your own hands, when you're in charge and when you're autonomous, when all the stops are out, but nothing could be more devastating for your life than when you take control. See, we're powerless. We're, we're measly little humans. We, we can't control our circumstances. We can't control our relationships. We can't control where our life begins and where it ends. We think that we're in control, but we've got the death wobbles down a steep hill. It's a good thing when God rules our lives because he's in control and he's powerful. Powerful over our circumstances, whether they're good or bad, we can trust that he's using them for our good. He's powerful over our relationships, most significantly our relationship with him, and he's powerful over sin, Satan, and death. Self-control, submitting ourselves to Jesus, is good because it puts God in control of our lives instead of us. Yes, always saved by grace through faith alone. Grace, God's gift of forgiveness that we don't deserve because we've rebelled against him and placed ourselves as the rulers of our lives instead of him. And faith, not in ourselves or our works or our heritage, but denying all of the things that we think qualify us for grace and trusting in Jesus alone, faith in him. That's self-control. Denying the self. Depending on Jesus. And this isn't a once-off. It's a continual disposition. It's the shape of your life as you follow Jesus. And that's my second point if you want to write it down. Self-control is a continual disposition. Now, I think Luke's gospel captures this well. I had Colin running through my head as I, as I was thinking about this. I should have probably just given you this reading from Luke, but it says, if anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. That's from Luke chapter 9, verse 23. You can hear Colin in your heads, can't you? See how it's daily, though? This is something you do every day. Now, that could sound like a burden we cannot bear. It could sound like we're suppressing ourselves but we've seen from the last point that being, having our lives under the control of God is a good thing. And I want to show you that it's, it's good, but not only that, that there's something beautiful and something that's full of wisdom and freedom giving. So would you turn to, to Galatians 5 with me, and we're going to start in verse 22. In verse 22... Let me find my spot. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus 
have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. We must not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Why did self-control make it onto this list that Paul talks about as we live by the Spirit? I think it's because of the start of chapter 5. In verse 1 in chapter 5 it says, Christ has liberated us to be free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Being controlled by our sinful desires is something that we've been set free from. They've been crucified like we saw in verse 24. We have a new master and we don't have to say yes to sin. If you remember that sermon from from Romans 6. So self-control is a fruit of the Spirit because the Spirit produces in us the ability to say no to our sinful desires, to control ourselves. And notice that this is not a self-control, that's just a human effort thing, as though it's like a mindfulness routine that you have in the morning, or becoming a mind warrior, as cool as that sounds. It's spirit-produced fruit. It's fruit that evidences the work of the spirit. Self-control is like becoming a spirit warrior. How much cooler is that? It means that with the spirit's help, we can say no to things that used to overpower us and control us. I think of things like drunkenness or lust, outbursts of anger, greediness, really just this whole series wrapped up together. And the Spirit helps us see those things for what they are. Greed, a yoke of slavery. Outbursts of anger, a yoke of slavery. And along with joy and love and forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness and gentleness, the Spirit gives us self-control. So we keep in step with the Spirit as a continual walk, continuing in the way that we started. If we started in submission to Jesus and offering ourselves to him to deny the self, to follow him, that's the way that we continue. And we gratify the desires of Jesus, producing the fruit of the Spirit not the desires of the flesh. It means that self-control is not just putting off sinful desires, but putting on godliness according to the desires of Christ. Um, as I was writing the sermon, I noticed, a, um, I noticed an addiction in myself. Uh, I was reading a book on anxiety, and it talked about how when we're anxious, we often look for things to soothe ourselves, And we often, um, these soothing things become an idol in our heart. We look to them for comfort instead of Jesus. We look to them to calm our agitation. And we think that once we've got this thing that we desire, we'll feel better, that it will soothe ourselves. And often there is a moment of soothing, but it's a very fleeting moment. Uh, There's so many excusable Christian examples that I can think of, um, like clothes, hobbies, things for my children, not for me, Um, checking the news feed in the morning, Um, Facebook, doom scrolling, Instagram, uh, browsing for sales. These are all things that we can run to to calm ourselves or soothe ourselves when we feel agitated, that things that would threaten to control us, that we struggle to be in control of. And I'll tell you what it is for me. You'll, You'll think I'm crazy and super weird because it's a bit out there, but um, for me, it's something called Warhammer. 
Uh, Warhammer is like this little miniatures that you buy and you paint them and you play games with them like board games, but it's 3D. There, there you go. I caught you up to speed with what Warhammer is. None of you will know what Warhammer is, but that's what it is. And for me, um, it was, it, it's, it's become this sort of addiction. Every day, the Warhammer company would update their news feed and often there's previews of new miniatures that they're releasing into the future and it gets me really excited. I feel agitated when I haven't looked at it yet and I want to know what I can look forward to next. And I realise that I get impatient, waiting, that my mind was always bent towards it, occupying more than it should have. And when I read this anxiety book, it was just all red flags to me. And I realised that my lack of self-control had allowed this thing to run rampant in my life. When I felt agitated, I'd made an idol of it in my heart so that I'd run to it to soothe me. And it's not a very fulfilling thing, is it? Now, we, we just call that an addiction, don't we? And addictions are sometimes really hard to break. If that's you this afternoon, uh, you don't have to do this alone. God's given us Christian brothers and sisters and he works through his spirit through them. Not just through them, but through um, friends, spouses, programs, resources, medication, therapists. But here's something helpful that I want you to put at the top of your list. Read your Bible. And as you read it, look for what it says about who God is and who you are in relationship to him. Dripping out of every page, you should find that he's the powerful creator God who cares for his creation, who keeps his promises, who's patient and kind, who loves us enough to send his son, who forgives us. That, that should be soothing. When we get agitated, we should put our trust in this God. We shouldn't turn to the things of the world that would control us, that aren't God. They're nowhere near as good as being under the control of the God who cares. Something I did that helped me shake this bad habit was um, using it as a trigger to read my Bible. Every morning when I woke up, I'd I'd start my, my routine, I'd make my coffee, and my first instinct was to pull out my phone and check the Warhammer news feed. Trigger, bang, to pick up my Bible instead and read it as the first thing I did in the day. And over time, my instinct changed so that as I make my coffee in the morning, the first thing I want to do is pick out God's word and read it and hear from it. That's the first thing I hear in the day. That's incredible. I find that incredibly encouraging to hear from God's word in the morning so that his thoughts run through my thoughts all day. I don't know what it is for you, what what the thing is that threatens to control your life is, but whatever it is that you feel you don't have control over, make it a trigger to pick up your Bible and run to the God of all comfort who cares for you and read his word. It's beautiful to see, isn't it, that self-control isn't just an oppressive suppression over who you are. It's freedom from the things that we've been slaves to. It's freedom from things that were unfulfilling and ultimately powerless to help us. Self-control is beautiful and there's wisdom to it too. 
And we don't do all of these things, the respectable sins and neglected virtues. We don't work on them all to make us better moral people. There's wisdom, yes, in not drinking. In, um, it's easy to see how destructive lust is. And it's easy to, to know that it's good to be in control of your anger. But let me say it again. We don't, we don't work on all of these things to be better moral people. We control them because we've denied the self and we've placed Jesus as Lord of our lives and we live for him and his desires now. We live for righteousness and the kingdom of heaven. Now the world may scoff and still say, boring. (laughs) Christians are party poopers. They're fun police, joy killers. Better to self-let it go than self-control. Pull out the stops, lose control. But the world will never tell us the cost of living this way, the slavery that it will put you in, the fleeting fulfilment. Jesus says, what will it benefit a man if he gains the world yet loses his life? It won't. There'll be no benefit. Far better to live for Jesus and to deny yourself. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word, for the way that it helps us see who you are, for the better word, for, for the way it shows us that you love us, that you're good, that you're faithful, you keep your promises and we can run to you and that you're trustworthy. We pray that uh, as we commit our lives to you and submit ourselves to you as Lord, that you'd please help us to live this way in our lives to come so that uh, we might live a a life that um, is focused on your kingdom and your desires. Father, for the times we we stumble, please pick us up and... uh, Help us run back to the cross and begin again where we started in submitting ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.